0: Thank you very much. It's a good thing you lowered that, eh? <clears throat> Reminds me of a a great preacher we had way up in Canada, Northern Ontario, and he was shorter than any preacher around. <clears throat> and he said that when he preached, it was kind of like uh, Paul on the road to Damascus <clears throat> says they heard a voice but saw no man. <laughs> he was so short. <clears throat> Well, good morning to you all. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here with you. It's a great uh, privilege uh, for us. We were here some time ago. I'm not exactly sure when, but been here at least once before and uh, really enjoyed the fellowship uh, with you. We're actually just passing through town. We're here for a little while up at uh, Boca Raton and <clears throat> down at um, Bible Truth. Um, uh, we're really in transition back to the mission field. We're from Canada. I'm sure you've recognized that already, eh? <laughs> we're from Canada, but we're actually, we've been in Belize for a year and a half now. Uh, and we had to go back home. My wife had to go in for repairs. She had an operation, and uh, she lost one of her kidneys. So it's quite a, a, a major surgery, but the, the doctor gave her a green light, and so she's back in the game. And so we're um, planned to be back in Belize uh, early next month, and uh, we're looking forward to getting, uh, going there again. And if you're at all able this afternoon, we're going to give a report at the, the Bible Truth Chapel at the South Florida, is it? South Florida missionary class. So as you were told earlier, you're welcome uh, to join us for that. We've got pictures, we've got a full report and, of the work in Belize now time is is running so let 's turn to our text this morning um, in matthew 's Gospel chapter four Matthew chapter four and <clears throat> very glad to be able to take part in your study um, going through the Gospel of matthew it 's a a great way to study the Bible is to take a book and work through it i think it 's a um, a <clears throat> very effective way to to study the word and i'm glad to be able to uh, participate with you. The text that I was given uh, for my time with you is chapter four verses twelve to twenty five matthew four twelve to twenty five so let's begin by reading the text. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon possessed epileptics and paralytics and he healed them great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis Jerusalem Judea and beyond the Jordan so that's the the text that we're going to look at this morning and it is the beginning of the ministry of Christ in Galilee. And I would be very interested to, um, to hear the approach of some of the others participating and how they're developing the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, I thought it would be good to think a little bit about the context here. Um, you probably already thought about the Gospels in comparison to each other. And their major themes, of course, Matthew is the gospel of the king, right? Israel's Messiah. And that's the emphasis that Matthew gives us. Uh, Mark is the gospel of what? What is is Mark's emphasis? The servant, right. God's perfect servant. And that's his emphasis. Um, The two little words that Mark uses again and again are and... And immediately, and it just says he did this and then he went there and immediately he went over here and immediately went and did that. It's just action throughout the whole thing. And there's no genealogy. Of course, who needs to know the pedigree of a servant, right? And so there you have God's perfect servant in Mark. Now Luke is about what? What's his emphasis? You didn't know you're getting a quiz so early, eh? Right, God's perfect man. And Luke emphasizes the humanity of Christ. And he emphasizes the prayer life of the Lord and his interaction with people, a lot of women, uh, a lot of human things like money, um, uh, human problems. But it's really the emphasis is on uh, him as the son of man. Uh, If Matthew is the son of David, Luke would be the son of man. Now, how about John? right. John emphasizes Jesus as the Son of God. He is the eternal Word, and he emphasizes uh, the deity of Christ, the fact that he is God manifest in the flesh. Now, of course, we see uh, all of these things in, in all of the Gospels, but they all seem to have their own emphasis. And <clears throat> um, outlining the Gospels is, is a lot of fun, and it be interesting to see how you develop it here. Thinking about Matthew, uh, some people trace a geographic um, outline or framework of this gospel. We have here already the emphasis on Galilee. It's mentioned four times, and there's a geographic movement in this gospel, and it's much like Mark. In fact, Mark, I would suggest that Mark actually Uses the movement of the Lord Jesus in his gospel to present Christ as the perfect servant. He begins in the lowest point in Israel at the river Jordan. And then the whole gospel moves towards the highest point there in, in, at, at, uh, below Mount Hermon, there, where he makes that famous statement Who do you, who do men say that I am? And then he makes that statement that I have come not to serve, uh, sorry, not to be served, but to serve and to give my life and then from there, the apex, the gospel proceeds down to <clears throat> back towards Jerusalem, uh, where he would give his life and die. So you see this this movement through uh, kind of a geographic uh, framework, or you could you could do a christological um, development of matthew 's gospel and uh, unfolding the person of Christ. In this gospel, we have the person of the Messiah in the early chapters. We have his, his genealogy, who he was, and so on. He's, he's the only living Jew who can trace his genealogy. Did you know that? <laughs> All of the rest of them were burnt up in Jerusalem when Titus destroyed the temple in AD 70. Um, so we have the person of the king, the proclamation of the king, chapters 5 to 16, and then the passion of the king. In the, to the end of the book, 17 to 28. That's just kind of a loose uh, framework. Now, there's another <clears throat> way that you could develop Matthew, and that is um, there's a, a, a thematic uh, approach that you could take because Matthew includes five discourses, very distinct uh, sections where the Lord Jesus is giving these great speeches. He's these preaching. You have, for example, you have the the um the Olivet discourse or you have Matthew five, six, and seven, the the uh the the <clears throat> the Beatitudes and so on. And he uses a little formula which is kind of like a a key to the book or the framework. And it's a little formula that is found nowhere else. I want to give them to you. Matthew seven, twenty-eight and twenty-nine so look at Matthew 7, 28 and 29. <clears throat> and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. <clears throat> so at the end of a discourse, Matthew will give this marker, a little uh, pointer that he's going to change now, his, his, uh, his narrative. And he says, when Jesus had ended these sayings, this is what took place. And uh, look at chapter 11, verse 1. I just want to give these to you as you study Matthew, and it'll kind of be a little key that will unlock it for you <clears throat> as far as an outline. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now, it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples. Then over to 13, 53, 13.53. 13.53. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. Same words. Then chapter 19 and verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings. So on. You see the exact same words. And then 26.1. We don't have to turn there. It's the exact same words. And so... What Matthew does, and people have identified this as a very good outline of the book, that he takes narrative and he links it with a discourse, and there are five uh, blocks like that through the book. And so that's kind of a framework that you can use uh, in looking at this book. And so uh, looking at the text itself, we're going to see four things. After the baptism, you've looked at the baptism of Christ and the temptation of Christ. And now Christ is going to begin his public ministry in in Galilee. And what we're going to see is four things in connection with the beginning of his public ministry. In uh, verses uh, 12 to 16, we're going to see a compassion for the lost. So verses 12 to 16, a compassion for the lost. And then verse 17 the centrality of preaching and teaching. And we're going to see that the emphasis in the ministry is preaching the Word. That was the center of his ministry. It wasn't peripheral. It was central. So verse 17, uh, the centrality of preaching and teaching. And then uh, verse 18 to 22, uh, we're going to see a commitment to teamwork. I love that section because it involves fishing. I love fishing. It's a great place here in Florida for fishing, isn't it? <laughs> I've never caught a tarpon yet. I want to get one of those. I want to get me a big tarpon someday, maybe. Anyways, these guys weren't sports fishermen, okay? But this is in this section, Christ begins to build a team. And uh, so we see a commitment to teamwork. And then the, the last section, verses 23 to 25, we have a care for the poor and needy. We have the 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 practical aspect of the ministry. So let's begin then with the first uh, section where we see a compassion for the lost. Now, as we mentioned, Matthew, he he points out that the Lord is moving now. He's moving from Nazareth, and he's going towards Capernaum. And in that region, it's the region. Of Galilee, where much of our Lord's ministry and miracles took place. And Matthew tells us that this is very important because his very movements in the Holy Land is actually fulfilling prophecy. And he tells us that when he went to this region, it was fulfilling a prophecy which said that he was going to a place where people were in darkness. And this here is where the first part where we, where, where we are challenged by the fact that it highlights the true condition of people. Now here it's Gentiles, poor Gentiles. <laughs> I didn't know I was a Gentile till after I got saved. <laughs> uh, I didn't even know what a Gentile was, but for them it was serious business. And this is what it says, that he went to this region, uh, over in Capernaum, and it was a place, um, it says here, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And so this was a place, it's a region that was settled by Zebulun and Naphtali um, after the conquest in the times of Joshua. And Isaiah, when Christ went there, Matthew points out that Isaiah prophesied that he would go there. It's in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. But the interesting thing is, is for these first readers of Matthew, this was serious business going towards the Gentiles. (laughs) Because the Gentiles were looked at as being outside of God's grace, God's program. They were rejected. They were without hope. They didn't have a standing before God. They weren't the chosen ones. They weren't part of the, the nation. This is long before the church is even known about. And so for Christ to go there, Matthew points out that was very, very significant. And it points us to the fact that Christ was always moving towards those who were outside, towards those who were lost, towards those who were in darkness. And um, just to kind of help us, understand how serious it was with the Gentiles. Let me give to you a quote that I came across recently, which uh, really kind of helped me. Um, William Barclay says this, <clears throat> the Gentiles, he's, he's actually quoting an ancient quote. And he says this, the Gentiles were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. <laughs> That's what the Jews believed. The Gentiles were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. Here's another one. Here's another tradition. An ancient quote which says, It was even forbidden to give a Gentile mother help in her hour of direst need because to do so would only have been to bring another Gentile into the world. (laughs) That's harsh, is it not? That was the attitude that existed in that day. But what do we see in Christ? We see him moving towards those who are outside. We see the grace of God overflowing the boundaries, the barriers, and reaching out towards those who are in a condition of being in darkness, being outside of that place of favor. In fact, if you study chapter 1, if you study chapter 1, do you remember the genealogy? Do you remember what, what Matthew points out is, was part of his family tree? Well, for one, there was five women. <laughs> I mean, God forbid. I mean, for a genealogy to include that. And then there were some that were Gentiles. Not only that, one of them was a, a prostitute. <laughs> and it was as if at the beginning of the New Testament, God was putting into the record of Scripture... I am coming to this world to save sinners. Those who are outside of that position of favor. I'm so thankful for that. I stand here before you as a sinner. As a Gentile. Well, I'm not now. I'm part of the church of God. Amen? Uh, Paul makes that very clear in his distinction. You're either a Gentile, you're a Jew, or you're part of the church of God. And um, I didn't know that when I got saved. I didn't know I was a Gentile. But now I know. And one thing I did know before I got saved, that I was a rotten sinner. (laughs) And because we're Gentiles, because we're uh, Gentiles, we're sinners. And we we need God's grace. So it says here that people were in darkness. They sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. I wonder, do we see the lost as being in the shadow of death? When we see people, do we see them as being in darkness? Their true condition. And this is what Christ, His ministry does for us. That He shows us the way. That this is the true condition of what people are in. They're in darkness. And in the shadow of death. Not only in darkness, but they're in the shadow of death. I usually only think about the shadow of death from Psalm 23. That the Lord is going to lead me through the shadow of death. If I die before the Lord comes. If the Lord comes, I won't even go through the, the valley of the shadow of death. Um, but here, they're not going through. They're in it, the shadow of death. That's serious. I wonder, do we do we understand the urgency of the lost, a compassion for the lost? You know, you may have heard up in Canada, in Toronto, we were struck with something that we're not used to. Some madman took a van and plowed into dozens of people, and ten people died in a matter of minutes. We don't. We don't. That's not something that happens in Canada, but now it does. But I thought to myself, I was just blocks away, by the way, driving. But I just, I thought, you know, those people were. One moment they're walking on a sidewalk, and the next moment they're in eternity. They're in the shadow of death. And I was thinking, are they saved? I wonder. A compassion for the lost. It says here they're in darkness. That's, to me, that, that, that just opens up a whole, a whole uh, perspective. Because, you know, in the, in the Bible, it begins with these words, let there be light. And God separated the darkness from the light. And the rest of the Bible basically unfolds how God is separating the light from the darkness. And that's what the Bible tells us, that we're in darkness without Christ, spiritually. Right now on this planet, half the world physically is in the light, and half the world, the other side of the world right now, is in darkness. And spiritually, that's what is, is, it is like exactly in the world today. Those who are saved and in Christ are in the light, but those who are lost are in darkness. That's the spiritual condition. The Bible says men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Not only are we in darkness without Christ, but we like it like that. <laughs> you know, when we were in Guatemala, we were missionaries in Guatemala. We, we lived in this house and I didn't know it at the time, but it was there's a lot of other tenants, let's say, living at the same address. I didn't know they were there. But I found out one night when I came downstairs for a midnight snack in the kitchen. (laughs) And I turned on the light and there were, I don't know how many hundreds of cockroaches. (laughs) But I mean, I came down and I switched on the light. And for one nanosecond, there were hundreds of cockroaches. And in the next second, they're all gone. (laughs) I I don't know where they went. But you see, folks, that's us. Men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. I wasn't looking for God when I got saved. I wasn't looking for God for the same reason that that, that thieves are not looking for policemen. <laughs> We're going in the other direction. But God's grace reaches towards us. It says here that, that light has dawned. When Christ moved towards those people, that the light shone. And I'm so glad for the day that the light came to me. And someone shared with me the gospel. And you know what the Bible says? The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of them, which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. For the God who who spoke in creation, uh, the light has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what the Bible is saying is, is that just as God spoke into uh, the, the emptiness before creation and said, let there be light, and there was light, so in our darkness, in our emptiness, and in our spiritual condition, He spoke the gospel through someone, through a tract, through a message, through the Word, And it illuminated us. You know why? Because we're in darkness. And Christ gives us in this passage a picture of compassion for the lost. They're in darkness. God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And um, if we know God, then we're walking in the light. You know that um, scientists, are still trying to figure out what light is. You know, is it particles? is it waves they're they're not- they can describe it. they're looking at the properties of it, but to this day, scientists still can't quite tell us what light is. The Bible does God is light, and in him is no darkness of all. Of course, it's metaphorically speaking, but God created the light, and it's a powerful picture, isn't it? So that's the first thing here that we see is a compassion for the lost. We need that folks. We need God to touch our hearts and our lives and give us a love for the lost, to move towards them. You know, our our kids, uh, my son at least, was involved with Move In. It's a movement up north, and it's all over the world now, where people move into neighborhoods because people need Christ, mostly uh, high needs, um, usually immigrant neighborhoods. and And they live there because people need Christ. Normally, a lot of people I know, they live somewhere because it's a nice neighborhood, because they get a good deal on on a rent or something. And they're living somewhere because of convenience. These young people, you know what they're doing? They're living somewhere on purpose because there's people that are lost. Move into a neighborhood where you normally wouldn't want to move into. (laughs) That's moving towards the lost. That is making a conscious effort to go over the boundaries. So this is a very, very good point for us here. Compassion for the lost. Now the next point. We have to move on. The next point is the centrality of preaching. And that's in verse 17. From that time Jesus began to preach. And this here emphasizes to us the importance of preaching of sharing the word, the centrality of preaching and teaching. And what this does is it tells us that there is a priority. There is a priority to preaching and teaching. It shouldn't be something that we just tack on to the activity of the church or the mission or our lives. It should be central, not peripheral. Amen? The preaching should be the very center of the work. Because that's the job. That's the task. That is the goal. That is the main thing. Okay? I like what somebody has said. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. (laughs) Right? And that's the challenge when it comes to missions, when it comes to ministry, is to keep the main thing the main thing. You know why? Because there's so many things crowding it out all the time. There's a challenge. And legitimate things, good things. But we have to remember the main thing is preaching the word. And we need this. We need a conviction today of the centrality of the word. The priority. Let's call it the priority. We need today, God's people need today, a conviction about the word. A conviction of its... Inspiration is the Bible inspired, Amen. We need a conviction about its inerrancy, Amen. The Bible is not does not contain errors, Amen. It's inerrant. We need a conviction today. We need a revival of the of a conviction today, of the sufficiency of Scripture, Amen. That in the Word of God we have everything that we need for life and godliness. Let's put it this way. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. That word profitable means it's just the right thing. Guys, when you're working in the garage, you've got a project and you're looking for that tool. That's the idea here. Just the right tool. You've got to get your hands on that one tool that you need for the job. That's the word here. The Word of God is profitable. It's useful. For what? For what? Four things: for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, the woman of God, may be perfect or mature, uh, fully equipped for every good work. Paul is telling Timothy, "Look, we need to get to the word. We need to be. We need to have the word as the center, the main thing, because it is what is going to equip us. It is the the substance of the faith. It is the the." the instrument that God uses to bring us to maturity and to help us serve God. The Word. Those four things are interesting. Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Someone has pointed out doctrine, that's what's right. Reproof, that's what's not right. For correction, that's how to get right. And then instruction in righteousness, that's how to stay right. (laughs) And and you know what? If you're a human being like I am, you need that. Amen? What does that? Philosophy? Some seminar? Those are great things. There's lots of programs. But let's face it, that the, at the basis of, of those good things is the Word. And so, as you trace the ministry of the Lord Jesus, you will find that there was a, a priority of the Word. That's what his mission was. He says, I must go to other towns and preach. He said, a sower went forth to sow. And the seed is the word of God. Back to Paul and Timothy. What did Paul say to Timothy? Preach the word. (laughs) Preach the word. And that is what this text uh, gives us, I think, is the priority of preaching and teaching. Let's remember that, you know, it's in conjunction with a thousand other things. And, and you know, there's so many programs that, that we need to be involved with. And there's a lot of ministries and emphases that we, we make in the church and in the mission and in our lives. But let's remember that all of these things, whatever they might be, let's remember that they should be designed to support and facilitate getting across the Word of God. That's what our task is to preach the Word to this world. Have you received the Word yet? (laughs) That's the the thing. That's the one thing that, that God wants you to get. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Amen. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. That's the task. That is the job of the church. That's your job and my job is to get the word across. However we do that, whatever that looks like, it takes a lot of different shapes, but that's the priority. Amen? Okay. So that's the second thing, the centrality of preaching and teaching. The third thing, a commitment to teamwork. And as I mentioned, I love this part because we have here another picture. Uh, Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee and he sees a bunch of guys fishing. Now, how many of the first disciples were fishermen? <laughs> it's another quiz. I don't know, okay? It was a trick question. <laughs> but you know what? I think there were a lot of them. And I, I sometimes wonder, out of 12 disciples, how many of them were fishermen? That's interesting, isn't it? But what was required for fishing? What's required for fishing? I mean, guys and girls, hey. I taught my daughter how to fish. That was a skill I had to teach my daughter. Okay, she's a good she she's a good fisherman, and she plays hockey, and uh, you know that's one skill I had to teach her. But what does it require? Anybody would tell you it takes patience, right? I mean that's for sure, right? Patience. You need patience to catch fish, but also it takes requires hard work, and teamwork. Because these guys here, this, it wasn't their hobby, okay? It wasn't like they're like, you know, weekend, you know, sports fishermen. That, no, this was their life. They lived, ate, slept, and breathed fishing. It was their job. It was their life. And so it required a, a lot of different things. Teamwork, hard work, patience, and sacrifice, And so the Lord comes along, and he sees these fishermen. He says, okay, follow me, and I'll make you to become fishers of men. He says, just as you are engaged in that work that you're familiar with, you follow me, we've got some other fish to catch. And this is a powerful picture, because not only do we see uh, people as being in darkness, but here the picture changes. The world is like a big sea, and people are like fish, right? And when you catch them, some stink more than others. (laughs) But, you know, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a big net that is cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, right? And that's the picture that we have in this age, that the, the gospel net is going out, or the kingdom net, whatever way you want to look at it. But as this age is drawing to a close, that net is getting closer and closer. And every now and then the fish bump up against that net and they take off again. They think they're still free, but that net is closing. And someday, that net is going to be drawn up. Now, that's a lesson for another day. But the picture is there that people are like fish. And we need to catch them for the Lord. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, what that requires is teamwork. It requires teamwork. And that's not often easy, is it? You know, <clears throat> working with other people, um, Someone has once said, uh, to dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to be here below with saints we know, that's another story. <laughs> but you, know, you and I know, if, if you're a Christian, you know that one of the, the key parts of the Christian life is that you've got to work together with your brothers and sisters in harmony. And the picture that, that the Bible uses is a body. And the body is made up of many different members. Um, and we're all different members in that one body. And the only way that the body can function is if each member plays its part. One person's a hand, another person's an eye. But there's other also different parts of the body that are not as as beautiful, you know, like a liver. I mean, <laughs> right? But can you live without your liver? No. No. Can you live without a kidney? My wife is right there. <laughs> she's yeah. proof. She has one kidney, but she's living. But, but you can't live without your liver. So there's different parts, but they're all necessary. And the only way that the body works is for it to work together. So what I'm saying here, folks, is that teamwork is important. To get the job done, we have to work together. You know, I'm a, an ambassador for E-teams. And uh, you have somebody that went from here, right, over to Ireland? And that's on the E-teams. And, you know, short-term missions. I am a great believer in short-term missions, mid-term missions, long-term missions, <laughs> any missions, anywhere, provided it be forward. That's what David Livingston said. I I think that we nobody has an excuse not to be involved in missions. You either go and preach or you stay and pray. But we're all part of that big task of reaching out. But it requires teamwork. You know, I love short-term teams. One of the reasons why I like teams is because I love to watch people as they they get into a, a team and they learn to, to focus on the task of getting the gospel out and they have to work as a team. You know, they're all thrown together in a small place and they've got to eat different food and sleep in different beds. And it gets all, you know, sometimes it's not easy. And it can be, it can be kind of uh, interesting, let's say. To watch some people try and work with others. I got a friend named Gaston. He's French Canadian. He's come on a couple of our teams, and um, Tim Hood. You got anybody here know Tim Hood? Yes. Hi, Tim Hood on Facebook. Um, Tim Hood. I call him a gospel tornado. Okay. And I've looked for a pause button or an off button on Tim Hood. Doesn't exist. Okay. And. Uh, He's come down to Belize four times on different E-teams, and it's been great. And we, we engage in evangelism, and he's helped me to appreciate the priority of the gospel. And um, anyways, Gaston, he came down and he said, it's very simple. We'll just, um, there's just two things that I require. Uh, a hot shower and no snoring in my room. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, we didn't have any hot water for the first couple of missions, not any hot water. And uh, Tim snores like a freight train. (laughs) So you're kind of pushed a little bit uh, out of your comfort zone, and I think that's uh, part of the picture here, to work as a team. So the picture here is of a teamwork, and the disciples give us that first picture of the team. Now, the last section, we don't have time to develop this very much, but it says that when the Lord went out, he uh, was engaged in meeting the practical needs of people. And it says that there were all kinds of people here, people who were had different kinds of diseases, uh, uh, paralysis and um, lameness and blindness and epilepsy. And there's a whole array of different needs, but nobody was turned away. And part of the the mission is rolling up our sleeves and coming into contact with people that need help. And that's what uh, the ministry also shows us, a care for the poor and needy. Let's never get to the point where we are above helping those who are in need, um, poor, and uh, whatever needs they are. So there's a a fourfold challenge an encouragement for us from the public the beginning of the public ministry of the Lord Jesus from Matthew chapter 4 let's pray father we thank you for today lord we thank you for the blessing of being in the word together and lord i just pray that you will bless each one here father and also through the internet lord we've heard your word repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand someday lord That last moment will pass. And, Lord, that moment when Jesus Christ comes again, it will be like a thief in the night. And there will be many, many people who will be left behind. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us a compassion, Lord, for people that need your word. Help us, Lord, to make a priority of learning your word, loving your word, studying your word, making it a part of our lives so that when people bump into us, that the word of God comes out. Help us, Lord, to work together and help us, Lord, to always be ready to help those who are in need. So I pray that you would bless Boulevard Bible Chapel, Lord. Bless each one here, each family. I pray for the leadership, Father, and you just encourage each one to the very least and youngest, Father. So we just commit our day to you and thank you for the blessing of being together. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Amen.